everybody. I am pleased to have another episode of Amplify Your Business. And today's special guest is Ted Fleming. He is the CEO of Partake Brewery. Welcome to the show, Ted. Thanks for having me, Lance. Great to be here. Okay, so there are very few guests that I appreciate having on the show more than breweries because you guys often will send through a few samples and I've got a stack of them right over here that we're going to get into right away. But before we do that, can you tell me in your opinion, in your experience, what are three things that every entrepreneur needs to know? Sure. Yeah. From my experience, um, I've been an entrepreneur for almost 10 years with Partake about five, um, the things that are important to me. And I think I always go back to as a, as a founder and entrepreneur are one, keep it simple. Complexity can kill your business. So I always try to try to take time to think about my business and how to simplify it. The second is solve a problem. And, you know, with partake, it's, it's a, it's a business where I, I'm really solving a problem for a community, which is providing a great tasting non-alcoholic beer at 10 to 30 calories. So for a community of people out there that didn't have really great options in the non-alcoholic beer world five years ago, now there's a, a huge amount of opportunity and, and variety. And we're first amongst many companies uh, in that space. And then one thing I learned from, from Partake, I didn't have this as part of earlier entrepreneurial experience, but it was to lean into our purpose. And I really got that from my community and it was related to solving the problem mm-hmm. piece of things. But my community was telling me, hey, you're not only solving a problem for us, but you have a purpose and you're important to us. And if you went away, it would be detrimental to our lives and our, our, uh, our day-to-day experiences. And, and so that was something that was really um, a learning through Partake, particularly as a business. Yeah, I, I think these are really great. And we're going to unpack some of these. But first, I want to get into the beer. So I have uh, six different beers here uh, is this your full line it's uh it is not it's it's our full line at retail we've got about six other beers that you can get through our online store drinkpartake.com and those are special like seasonal releases like we've got an Oktoberfest out right now uh we've got an hazy a hazy ipa that's done really well and then we do some other sort of summary style style beers as well so these are our sort of core lineup available largely across the country in retail and then we have that other grouping of specialty items that 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 go um, exclusively through the online store. Excellent. And so what I have with me right now is the stout. We have the red. We have an IPA here, um, a blonde. A uh, do you pronounce it ghost goza? What what's the proper uh, I, pronunciation? I pronounce it goza. I've got a few goza? people on. The pronounce pronounce it goes so you know we're not we're not too particular but yeah uh, it's a fun one good summer and then, style and then we have this one here which is the pale now I understand that this one is a very well decorated beer then so tell us a little bit about that while I pour it yeah so our our pale ale was our second product that we brought to market the first was our IPA um, the pale is particularly special because. Uh, in 2018, it won the World Beer Award for the world's best non-alcoholic beer, not just in Canada, but in the world, which is pretty amazing. And uh, not only does it taste great, but it's 10 calories for that entire can, which which kind of wows people. So enjoy it. 
Yeah, tastes great, less filling, I guess is the way, right? <laughs> sure. I think somebody else did that, didn't they? Yeah, I can't can't really use that tagline, but we'll <laughs> we'll work on something uh, like that. Yeah. Okay, let me let me smell this. It smells delicious. Oh yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. Hmm. Very nice. Look at this, everybody. That's a beautiful pale. Yeah. Okay. So, sorry. For a lot of our, our consumers, it's important that the product it looks like a beer, smells like a beer, tastes like a beer. It's that complete beer experience, uh, all all without yeah. the alcohol. And so people can, you know, continue on with their day to day routine. They can have one at work. Um, they can have it when they're reminding their kids and and be present with their family. So we're seeing more and more people find different parts yeah. of their lives where this fits in really really nicely. Or in the morning as we're filming this right now. Um, so I can't, I don't have to feel guilty about having a beer at uh, 11 in the morning. So that's great. Yeah, we haven't, we haven't quite, quite cracked the breakfast crowd yet, but it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a new horizon for us, for sure. The breakfast barley sandwich. Here we go. Um, okay, so in terms of the alcohol or being non-alcoholic, um, I, I would imagine a lot of people on this call, myself included, are curious about how you remove the alcohol uh, through this whole the brewing process and that is this something that happens after or what's going on how do you get that yeah so we don't like we don't talk about our process in the specific but I can talk about the the sort of common ways that breweries do make this so there's there's generally two camps one is the dealkalization method where I think you see a lot of the larger brewers make making their beer their non-alk beers this way where they have a, a five percent beer that they they make um, and then they run it through a, whether it's a heat extraction system or it can be a membrane filtration. So a, a molecular separation system where they, you know, remove the alcohol from the beer, they're left over with, with a non-alc product. And that's what goes into their, into their cans. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, there's a method called arrested fermentation. This is more common, commonly used in, in Europe with craft brewers and, it's a process control mechanism where you add yeast to your unfermented beer. It starts to do its thing where it metabolizes some of the sugars, turning them into alcohol, but you measure that very closely. And when it comes up to about 0.5% alcohol, you shut the whole system down by subjecting the beer to really cold temperatures, which deactivates the yeast. Mm -hmm. And therefore you're left with a partially fermented uh, non-alcoholic beer. So those are the two predominant methods to make non-alcoholic beer. So if you're deactivating the yeast, though, and there's so much of the flavor comes from the yeast, are you still getting the full flavor profile or is it cut short as well? In my view, it's it's cut short partially through that process. And you're also left with a slightly sweeter beer because there are those sugars still there that aren't fully fermented. One thing people will notice about our beer is a very, it, it, it tastes very dry. And so one of the unique things that we've figured out, and I can't, I can't say how we do it, is to take out that sweetness and make yeah. the beer dry, which I think is what most people's experience with beer typically is. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like this one here tastes very much like any of the pale craft that uh, that you would find anywhere else. So that's really cool. Yeah, love it. Okay, so so let's talk a little bit about your journey then um, to this point. So I understand that Partake was born from your basement in around 2017 right is that uh is that the story 
Yeah, I think it, it oscillates between basement and garage because I got kicked out of various parts of my house at various times by my <laughs> by my wife. But, uh, you know, that's that's basically true. I think if I go back a bit further and, you know, we talk about purpose and and solving a problem, um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease back in 2005. Okay. And, you know, for a couple of years, really kind of was struggling to figure out, like, what did that mean for me? And in 2010, it kind of came to a head. I was I was having complications with that, end up in the hospital a few times. And at the same time in that year, 2010, I became a dad for the first time. And so those two kind of life changes came together for me. And I kind of said, okay, look, I got to, this is as good a reason as any for me to change course and giving up alcohol was part of that commitment to be healthier and, and more, more present for, for my family. And um, it was a struggle to, to stay on that path. And I was a beer lover. I liked craft beer. I socialized around beer. So when you give up alcohol, you start to realize how pervasive it is in our society particularly around social occasions. Mm -hmm. And so I really struggled with that. I'd go a few months being off alcohol and then I'd find myself kind of moving back towards it for the lack of options and, uh, and uh, variety in the category. And so partake was sort of my answer to like, how do I solve this problem for myself? And then in so doing, I've kind of solved that problem for hundreds of thousands of other people. So that's, it's, it's been a fantastic journey. Yeah, yeah, and this started out in Toronto, and uh, you've expanded west into Calgary as well. So you're manufacturing, uh, brewing in both cities, then right now, right? Yeah, when we we have uh, we have some plans to expand production into into international markets as well in in future years. So um, yeah. we're available nationally across Canada and all all major major retailers, grocery um, and most liquor channels, and then in the U.S. we're available in about 25 states. And then online through through our website. So now I'm not familiar with any other brewers that are uh, focused exclusively on the non-alcoholic beers. Are you guys unique in that in Canada, or are there other competitors that have that exclusivity as well? Yeah, we were we were the first. So we were the first ones in 2017 with this concept. We were the first through the yeah. wall. We got a lot of blood on our face. We took a lot of the. We took a lot of the body punches in the early days when people were like, this is crazy. It's never going to work. Why would yeah. people drink this? Um, today, you you have in Canada probably a half dozen companies that are making non-alcoholic beer and maybe two or three that are specific into non-alcoholic beer um, like us. But again, we were the first and the same same thing in the US. We were We were the first, if not one of the first. And today, you see a lot more players in that space, whether they're Focus specifically on non-alc, or whether it's adjacent to an alcoholic version of, of beers they make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so being the first mover in this category, was that a lot easier than for you to get the penetration into the distribution, or was it because you're first mover, like you said, it took a lot of body uh, blows as you're going along. So was it more difficult, and you kind of blazed the trail for some of the people who are now following you? Yeah, I, I think it's the latter. I think it was more difficult because there wasn't a, I think that people today can say, look at what Partake's doing. We can do that too. Yeah. When we were doing it, there was no example for us to say, look, this is the categories growing this much. This is the opportunity we had to, we had to prove that out piece by piece by piece. So we started um, probably our first major customer was the beer store in, in Ontario. And then it went to the LCBO in Ontario. And then it went to 
uh, liquor channel in Alberta, and then it became grocery channel. So we had to build it up piece by piece by piece and, and earn every, every door that we, we opened up. Uh, I think the people behind us, I'm not going to say it's easy for them. Like, again, they have a competitor like us in front of them, um, but it's much easier for them to go and get a meeting because the, the buyers understand the opportunity that we've, we've illustrated for them. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I would think there's a big advantage for the non-alcohol category is that your distribution is beyond then the liquor stores, right? So I would presume that you don't have to sell exclusively through the liquor boards in each of the provinces then, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. We don't have to. We tend, we tend to sell with them because a lot of consumers today, and this is the interesting part of our category, is we're seeing a lot of flexible drinkers, people who will go into a, into a store and buy alcoholic beer and non-alcoholic beer in that same purchase because during the week they'll drink non-alcoholic beer in the weekend uh, or at a special occasion they'll drink alcoholic beer and they're, they're moderating their drinking but still being able to, to drink in all the social occasions and even just like the home occasions that they're used to. So they're giving mm -hmm. up nothing in terms of that, that feeling of drinking a beer, but they're doing it in a much healthier way at that lower calorie count that we present. Um, so that's why it's important in the liquor channel for, for liquor retailers to carry our product, but it also extends to grocery where, um, you know, a lot of our volume comes from the bigger uh, grocery chains and uh, people clearly pick it up and, and purchase it there. So both channels are really important for us. And then, in a, you know, as, as we've reopened after COVID, we're seeing more bars and restaurants come in and, and ask for our product and the customers are asking for our product as well. So we're meeting them uh, in those locations as well. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really, really an interesting opportunity that you have there because it, it you have broader distribution capabilities, but also a broader audience than what a typical beer um, audience might be, I presume too. And so are you finding that growth in your category of the beer market is growing at the same rate as the rest of the craft beers or faster than the rest of the craft beers? Yeah, we're growing significantly faster than yeah, craft beer. I think I craft beer is plateaued currently. Um, mm -hmm. We're growing at, I think in Canada, I think the rate was about 25% year over year. Last year it was 40%, um, similar numbers in the States as well. So um, yeah, non-elk is pretty much the fastest within, within beer and to be honest, we weren't always considered beer. We were always often considered like you're not even beer because you're not alcoholic. Today yeah. we are considered beer. We've been we've been allowed into the beer family and we are the fastest growing category within within beer. Yeah, yeah, that's really exciting stuff. And and I would think another audience too, like I, I play a lot of sports, and so oftentimes, you know, you're you're cracking some beers at the end of the of the of the games and stuff. And the non-alcoholic would have, I would think, a really great, especially being that it's low calorie, a really great opportunity um, to penetrate that market even more so than what the alcohol version of beer would, I, I would think anyway, I would think that there's an advantage there. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity the opportunity there. Um, you know, we're, we're still trying to break down some longstanding stigmas, right? Like that, that social occasion after sports, having a beer, like that's, that's sort of what I went through when I was giving up alcohol and was like, okay, I, I really, I really love that experience. Like that's almost half of why, I, why I play sports. And so, um, you know, when I brought out partake, 
for me, that was what I brought into the locker room and, you know, pretty much my team, at least around me kind of knew, knew what I was struggling with. And, you know, pretty much that whole team today drinks partake after the game rather than, you know, a macro, a macro lager, which they did before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's just a way smarter, better for the body. And also, you don't have that risk of, you know, having having too many and then driving away from the field, right? So yeah, I don't, I don't think like it for hockey, particularly like no one walks to the walks to the arena. Exactly. driving. So, you know, I think there's, there's a benefit there. And people are just like, hey, I just, I just, I love the refreshment. It's the camera. I still get the refreshment, the taste, the camaraderie after the game. And yep. I have no worries about driving home and I'm good to go the next morning without, without yep. any issue. So, you know, I think yeah. people are coming around to like the value proposition that non-alc beer brings. Yeah, completely. Now I I'm curious about in those early days when you're in the basement and in the garage and you're trying to figure this out and you're deciding that you're going to venture into this as a business, were you, uh, did you have enough foresight to, you know, understand all of the potential advantages from a market standpoint, or was it where uh, you were just really approaching it from uh, th- there's a need here. I have a need. I want to solve this problem. And it just kind of grew from there. And then as you started to develop your market, then you started to see and realize, wait a minute, this is, this is different than, than an average uh, craft brewery. Yeah. I think I, I always had a, an expectation that this could be something pretty big. I don't think I would have gone into it in the yep. way that I did without, without having a vision of what it, what it could become. And, and I took some, you know, some guidance from the European market where there was much higher penetration of non-alcoholic beer and said, you know, if it works there, there's, there's rationale for it working, working in North America, if there are good products. And, you know, one of the big challenges was there were no good products widely available in North America at that time. So Partake was probably the first company to bring a breadth of craft beer into the non-alcoholic realm, um, you know. Also, to your point, like opportunity-wise, like from the get-go, I saw the opportunity for us to sell our product because it was non-alcoholic through e-commerce, and so we were probably the first beer brand ever in North America to launch e-commerce only um, yeah. from the hop. And we did a we did a Kickstarter campaign back in uh, 2017. We had a goal of raising $10,000 to get the project off the ground. We raised that in the first three hours of the campaign. And then wow. we went on to raise $30,000 by the end of the campaign. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's definitely gives you a lot of confidence that there's a market there, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's that, that community that I built around the early, early parts of the business have been instrumental in just kind of giving us the motivation to keep going through all the inevitable ups and yep. downs that come with running a business. Now you've talked about community quite a bit, and I did want to circle back to that. So I think this is a good, good opportunity to do so. And so there's a lot of businesses out there, especially in an e-commerce world that really try to build that big community around them. And that becomes the core that's going to propel the business forward. Uh, It sounds like you were pretty intentional about that right at the beginning, especially with the launching it as a Kickstarter. Tell me what, um, I guess, um, you what thought you put into it in the early days and then how have you been able to achieve that uh, great community that you've built yeah i think you know part of it is my own story and the purpose and and the rash the rationale why like why i'm doing this and why i've stuck with people for for many years um 
you know, at the beginning of the, of the journey, like I was the only person working in the business. I was the touch point. I had a, I had a personal relationship with all our, all our early consumers. Um, I think that that really helped build that, that core group of, of super fans that we've then built, uh, built a bigger business around. Um, I think our customers today feel that like, I'm, I'm still accessible as, as a pretty successful founder and CEO, I'm, I'm pretty accessible, pretty real and authentic in a world that is full of fake photos and, and uh, other, other things people are trying to project into the world. And I think we, we still come across as a very authentic, um, down to earth um, kind of brand. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think um, we've, we've also included our, our community in some of the brand building, like the, the Partake logo and the initial can design that was crowdsourced from our Facebook community mm-hmm. as well. So we went out and said, Hey, here are, here are a dozen design concepts. Like you guys vote, tell me what you think. You know, they, they actually had a hand in building some of the early parts of the business as well. So I think that was, that was an important element too. And, uh, you know, today we're just trying to find new ways and, and unique ways to engage a larger community uh, in a way that still feels authentic and, and true to our, our purpose, which is, which is really to make beer more inclusive, healthy, and fun. Yeah. So can you share with us any of those ways that now that you have this larger community, how you're keeping them engaged and, and how you are continuing to grow that engagement? Yeah. So we're trying to, we're trying to involve them in um, now that, you know, things have reopened. If we run events, giving like that early community special access to events, trying mm-hmm. to make sure that they feel special in terms of like, okay, we'll look at our online customer base and those that are repeat purchasers were, you know, sending them t-shirts and sending them glassware and coolers and doing sort of things um, additional to like, we don't have to do that, but we want to do that. It makes them, make them feel special because they, they are special. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Love it. So now there isn't a lot of other craft breweries that I know of that have uh, manufacturing or, or processing bottling on two sides of the country that that have had this opportunity to expand or the foresight to do that. Now, is that something that was difficult for you to to do, to to replicate what you were doing in Toronto out in the West? Um, Or was it a fairly easy expansion? Yeah, I think this actually ties in a little bit to your prior question too. Like a lot of, a lot of what I did was a result of just accepting the constraints I had in the business. And, you know, one of the constraints was I was the only person. So I had that personal contact with a lot of the customers early on. That was a constraint, but it was, uh, it was a beautiful constraint. One of the constraints we had early on was when I went to the banks and said, hey, I want to build a, um, build a brewery that's just going to make non-alcoholic beer. And I know nobody else has ever done this before. Will you fund me? And the answer was no. Um, that created a constraint, which was we went out and partnered with existing breweries that had excess capacity. And so that turned into a really nice constraint for us. And so we've used that as a model to create partnerships in other parts of, of, the, of the country. And I think it's great for us because, A, we're, we're a national brand. It helps us cut down on shipping costs. Uh, it allows us to sell our product to our consumers at a, at a better price, which is great for them. Um, but it also cuts down on emissions, our carbon footprint, and, and other things like that, which, again, for our community, 
And for our customers, that's important to them as well. Yeah, yeah. So what challenges, I guess, would you be facing that other single location craft breweries don't face? Yeah, it's 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 managing a lot of different relationships. So each each partner we have is its own relationship. It can be at times great, at times challenging. You know, sometimes their problems become our problems. Sometimes their problems stay their problems. So, um, you know, I, I think that's that's part of the challenge is there are more relationships um, to manage from a contractual basis, and you are sometimes it feels like you are a little exposed to whatever's going on and things that are outside of your control. Whereas I think if you had your own single facility, you'd feel maybe more in control, but every problem would be at the same time, it would be your problem, your problem. So you try to balance those, those two things off. Yeah. You know, I, there's so many businesses that have been really struck by the supply chain management issues that have been, you know, happening since COVID and continue to, to be a problem. Did this just double it up for you then <laughs> by having the two locations? Uh, well, I would, I would say no, the, the, having the two locations is actually been a bit of a blessing during that time. And I think that was a, that was a conscious decision or a constant, uh, it was a consideration when making this decision was, okay, having redundancy in the supply chain is an added benefit in addition to the, the cost savings from shipping and the reduced carbon footprint, having that redundancy in supply chain was an added benefit to the business. And it did, it did come in handy through COVID when, you know, we, we did have some locations that, hey, we're, we're going to have to stop producing for two weeks because of a COVID outbreak in the facility and every Every manufacturer went through this during COVID. Like everyone had an had an yeah. issue with an employee that was exposed, and then having to kind of take measures to address that. And you know, we had that in in some of our facilities, but having that additional facility allowed us to mitigate the impact of that as a business. Yeah. So let's say that you're writing yourself a letter. So your younger self, your 2017 self, who's struggling in the basement, in the garage, trying to figure out all of the recipes and how you're going to make this business work. Um, so you're writing that personal letter. What would be in that letter? Yeah, I think, I think the headline would be something along the lines of continue to think big, if not think, uh, bigger. Mm. And, um, you know, again, we were we were first to market, and there's a lot of, you know, there's there's a lot of anxiety and fear that that comes with being first. And yep. you know, I clearly had a vision for something big, but um, even though I did have that, I think if I thought bigger, you know, we we could be even further ahead. So, um, yeah, that would be that would be my own advice to my myself five years ago. So does thinking big and what you said at the outset around one of the, the things that you think every entrepreneur needs to know is to keep it simple. So does thinking big and keeping it simple, did those uh, conflict with each other or were you able to, to still manage both aspects, I guess, or both philosophies? Yeah, I think they sometimes come into conflict, but at the same time, you know, thinking big can be simple from a strat strategic perspective saying, hey, this is our, we have a simple strategy of we're going to focus on this market or this, this consumer. So I think that's, that's the lens with which I would 
try to use keep it simple against maybe we have a lot of resources, raises a lot of capital, we can apply that to a very specific, simplified uh, strategy. So I think that's how those two things could uh, could come together in a nice way. And I'm curious, what is easier now at this point in your journey than what it was earlier in your journey or in the stage of your business? Yeah, I think, you know, I'm certainly surrounded by a a really talented team today and I wasn't early on. So I have, I have quite a few people that I can talk to about issues and concerns and I'm able to, to trust in their ability to execute and things. So it's less lonely for sure as a, as an entrepreneur today than yeah. it was in the early days. And I have a great team that, you know, are, are true thought partners for me, which I, again, without without having, and I would extend that to my advisor network and to my board as well, that, you know, I'm, I'm surrounded by a ton of really smart, intelligent, hardworking people that want to, you know, help me take this to, to new heights. And uh, um, it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. That's really great. Now I I'm curious because you did mention a little bit around, you know, just uh, capital and so on. So let's, let's imagine that when you're running that Kickstarter, instead of it raising 30,000, which was fantastic, you raised a million dollars at the start. What would you have done differently? Yeah, that, that almost, it almost might've been a problem <laughs> to have too much, too much money. Um, I think thinking bigger for me means like just having, having a plan that's scalable to a much, much bigger, um, to something much bigger than being able to, to, to then, you know, understand what the resources behind that would need to be. Um, I think if I would have gotten that amount of money early on, I think I probably would have spent it ineffectively. And, mm -hmm. and so I think, again, it was probably a good constraint at that time, but I think I hit an inflection point where things were working. The product was great. I was having great success in the Canadian retail. And to a degree, I did this where I went out and raised uh, capital two times. We did a series A in 2020 and a series B this year, raising a combined almost 30 million Canadian dollars. Um, oh. so we've, we've done some of that, but maybe we could have done that maybe a year sooner in each case. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, if I would have got it from day one, it would have probably been a curse. And then once I realized that, okay, product was great. There was a market for it, lots of traction, lots of opportunity. Um, you know, that's, that was the point when, you know, take the change in mindset, let's, let's go big. And, and we did that to, uh, to a degree with our capital raises. Yeah. Now it strikes me like there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that they're growing things, but they never really get to that stage where they can really put their, uh, you know, the, their foot on the gas and really, really grow rapidly. Um, and that is either by design, by circumstance, um, or by mindset. How do you, um, I guess, achieve that? Like, uh, how did you get into that mindset where you were able to set up a business that you have the ability and the desire um, to really scale? Uh, because it seems like you're unique in, again, the craft beer market. Uh, the broader craft beer market, because there isn't a lot of craft breweries that are doing 
you know, processing in two locations across the country with plans to expand into the U.S. and so on. You're like, you're growing very fast. So I'm just curious, where do you get the drive, the uh, confidence? Is it is it through some mindset activities, books, uh, advisors? Yeah, a few like a few components to that for sure. Like, I would say going back to constraints, right? Like I I viewed my my consumer being not super dense, so I couldn't have like this local brewery doing just non-out beer we had to have a much we had to cast a much wider net just mm. to make the business um viable from a scale perspective and just understanding the need for scale from from day one so you know keeping it simple was setting the foundation for for that scalability and understanding we did need to go national and international to get that scale because our density of customer wasn't going to be you know the same as for a, a traditional brewery um, yeah. I, I think that was part of it, just setting up that mindset of we have to be big in order for this to work. Um, so that was a, you know, another one of those convenient constraints that, that I had from, from the get-go. Um, I also immersed myself in various podcasts uh, early on when I didn't have the funds and I didn't have the, the advisor network or the board that I had. I immersed myself in various podcasts, really understood the consumer packaged goods industry, the beer industry, where did we fit? In that spectrum, were we a consumer packaged goods company because we were non-alc, or were we a beer company? And our trajectory has been more towards consumer packaged goods, and there's a lot more. Um, I would call it a lot more. It's a lot more dynamic market with fundraising and capital raising and and growth and and just having that mindset of this business has to go to the U.S. to be successful as well. And we had a lot of consumers and customers in those early days that were U.S. based, and they were saying, "Come, come to the U.S., please. Come to Dallas. Come to Chicago. Come to uh, Los Angeles." Right. So that was pulling us there as well, and and responding to our our consumer and our community. Um, so a whole bunch of factors to uh, to get us to that point. And then today, it's really leaning on that advisor network and and a, a trusted group of of people that have have been through various businesses before they've been through building beer businesses. So I'm, I'm grateful to have access to a whole bunch of people that have sort of been there, done that before me. And uh, I can, I can learn from their, their successes and from their failures. So key. Yeah. And to, to build upon that a little bit, who or what inspires you? Uh, yeah, I've got uh, a lot of, a, a lot of, people that inspire, inspire me out there. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say one that uh, I'm going to get a lot of points for, but uh, my <laughs> wife is a, a big inspiration yeah. for me. She's, uh, you know, she, she took the leap uh, in her career, moving from Toronto to Calgary. She's, she's now the head of Calgary Transit and, mm-hmm. um, you know, really great, uh, great leader in, at, uh, in municipal government. And, uh, you know, she's a great sounding board and, and a uh, partner for me in, in, uh, in helping me on this journey. So uh, I'll get a few points for that one, but uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's the truth in, in my, uh, in my world. Excellent. Fantastic. Okay. So now we've come to the point in the show in which you tell us where we can find Partake Brewery. All right. It's a lo- it's a long list. Um, so first of all, you can get it online at drinkpartake.com. In Canada at retail, we're in all Loblaws, Sobe Safeways locations. So Loblaws in the in the West is probably Superstore, mainly Loblaws, Banner Store, um, Safeway is uh, Safeway and Sobe's 
across the country. We're in BC Liquor. We're in a lot of independent liquors in Alberta, LCBO in Ontario, Beer Store in Ontario. So pretty wide selection of uh, retailers across the country, a lot of natural food uh, retailers as well. In the U.S., we're in 25 states. It's a bit more fragmented um, in terms of the retail network that we have. Total Wine uh, and more is a, is a retailer I'll highlight. They were the, the first big retailer that took us on in the U.S. Um, and uh, actually, I'll tell you a bit of a story about that one. I pitched, yeah. uh, I pitched my product in a beer competition in 2018, and they didn't know what to do with me. It's like, is this beer? Is it not beer? The whole conversation, I didn't win the competition, but the whole conversation at the end of the competition was about like non-alcoholic beer. Is it going to be a thing? Is it not? Um, But one of the judges came to me afterwards and said, hey, A, I think you should have won. And B, when you're ready, call me on the buyer at this Total Wine and More and I'll put you in all the stores. And so a year later, I call him and say, hey, I think we're ready. He's like, all right, we'll do this. And then they've been our, our number one U.S. customer for many, many years. So Oh, that's really cool. Um, you know, I think a lesson learned from that is just like put yourself out there, even though you may get mocked or ridiculed or people look at you with like, you know, their eyebrows up of like, what is what is this? Um, <laughs> you know, who knows what that will unlock? So I think that's I think that's key for any entrepreneur is get out there and tell your story. Yeah, yeah, really cool. Well, thank you so much, Ted, for coming in and sharing your story. I I just am really inspired by what you've created and how you're scaling it and how you were really able to identify a market that is just has that velocity that is, you know, in this category that is so much more superior to the rest of the products in the category. And so it's just really great business sense. Um, And, uh, and obviously, you're trusting your gut, literally, as you were going through everything. So, so really cool. Good job. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for having me on Lance. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who are listening or watching uh, to this episode, if you enjoyed it, check out our archives over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca. And of course you can find us on all of the major podcasting platforms until next show, everybody have a prosperous day. Bye.